Welcome to the Jane Bond Show, from execution to excellence. And I am your host, Jane Bond, the serial entrepreneur who will be sharing with you valuable life lessons and interviewing influencers from around the country who have broken through to success, along with giving you advice on navigating through the game. Our topic today is the face of financial freedom. Our special guest is a young lady who from a very young age decided that she wanted to be wealthy and took on the pursuit of understanding and building a relationship with money to get her to her ultimate goal and that was to become financially free. While attaining her economics and marketing degree from Temple University, she was introduced to the financial services industry via banking. Now, a private wealth advisor with a Fortune 500 company that is among the top 25 largest asset managers in the world. She has also held various roles within her organization over the years, including financial advisor, district manager, and the first female African-American field vice president in the firm's history. Her passion is disciplined investing. In addition to the investment equities, she primarily invests in real estate throughout the city of Philadelphia and the suburbs. Following the financial crisis of 2008, she added more than 40 doorsteps to her real estate portfolio. Without any further ado, I'd like to introduce you to my special guest, Miss Aisha Selden. Hey, Aisha, how are you today? I'm well, Jane, how are you? Oh, I'm great, I'm great. I'd like to welcome you and thank you for your participation in this interview today on From Execution to Excellence. I've been looking forward to this, so thank you for having me on. Absolutely, and I've been looking forward to it also because I've heard so much about you from our mutual friend, Rashana Scott, and she just loves you to death. Likewise, cool. likewise, right? This is um, I right. Mean, it, it, we're all a few degrees uh separated, so I'm I'm glad we could finally connect. Oh, fantastic! So, Aisha, tell us a little bit about growing up in Philly, and of course, you know I'm a Philly girl too, so I know a lot yep. about Philly. But yep, I love to Philly hear love. other people's side. Yeah, Philly yep. love. So, um, I mean, I grew up in in South Philly. Um, my mom. Uh, is, um, you know, born and raised Philly. My grandmother born and raised in Philly. So we're generations of, uh, of, of Philadelphians. We, um, we were pretty poor growing up. But the good thing about good parenting is that you don't really know you're poor as a kid uh, until you look back <laughs> thinking, wow, we, we were really poor. Um, you know, we, my, mom, my mom is um, first-generation college educated. She's, a, she's an RN, um, had two kids really young. She got pregnant with my sister at 16. Uh, and me at 19, so our first home was um, in Passion Homes, Passion, Pro- Passion Projects, which no longer exists, but once she graduated nursing school, she was still a single mom with two kids, and it was, um, it was tough, but having, being college educated and being an RN, we were kind of like, I guess, wealthy kids in a rough neighborhood, um, and I say wealthy in a sense that we had a car, <laughs> we, had, um, we, had an <laughs> we had an in-house washer-dryer, so that, that okay. kind of made us, you know, a little, a little wealthy, but... Um, it was, um, I, I, I loved my childhood. I mean, we, um, you know, you learn, you learn street smarts, you learn who to, who to hang with, who not to, uh, you learned how to be tough, you fought. Um, 
there's nothing there's nothing different I would do about my childhood. I wouldn't change I wouldn't change a thing. I love Philadelphia. I still love Philadelphia. It will always be my home. Um, you know, but we had that's we had interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love Philly. You know, it's an interesting story. I mean, it's very short. You told me, but I kind of our lives are similar and very parallel when it comes to that. You know, you grew up yeah. in Patsy Young projects. I grew up in Southwest, you know, off of um, Whitby Avenue. And yeah, right. It's funny because we spent, um, my sister and I have different dads, um, mm-hmm. but my sister's grandmother, who they all treated me just like I was, you know, I was blood, blood related to them as well. Um, we spent a lot of time over there uh, during the summer, right off of Whitby Avenue, um, I forget the name of the street that she lived off of, right off of, I believe, like 58th or 59th or so. Uh, we spent yeah. quite a few summers up there. Yeah. We probably ran into each other because we Pro- were on 56th and Whippy. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it's probably like Hadfield, one of those streets around there or yep. something like that. Yep. But yeah, um, That was definitely one of the streets we ran up and down. Yeah. And my mom was RN. So I feel wow. you when you talk about your mom being an RN and being educated, my mom, and I understand being poor, but not understand, not knowing or really understanding that you're poor because, you know, we were seven kids and grew up in one house with one bathroom, you know. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. at that time, and when you go back and you look, you think, how the hell did we do that? <laughs> so, you know, yep. that's interesting. And, um, you know, fortunately I had my dad there. But I, I definitely get that understanding of being in Philly and knowing the street smart, you know, gathering street smarts and then having the opportunity to be educated and, you know, fall back on that and look and say, wow, you know, we were poor, but it didn't seem like we were poor. We had something to eat. We had clothes. We had friends. We understood what was going on. And um, yep. you felt wealthy. We had a car. <laughs> we went to the movies. I yep. get it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, no, we, um, amazing. We, yeah, my mom, my mom was, she, she's amazing. She's probably one of the most amazing people I know. It's funny that you said that there were seven of you growing up. I mean, my mom was that, that friend that if you, if you needed uh, in, in a room to, to, to sleep in, if you were trying to get your life together, I mean, my mom's generation was that generation that like, basically there were those who fell victim to crack and the, there were those who barely. That's came. right. So my mom, a lot of her friends fell victim to the crack epidemic. So it would not be uncommon for us to like be in the kitchen on a Saturday morning and one of her friends that had been strung out on drugs trying to get their life together would come out of our basement like, you know, good morning. And we're like, you know, who, who, who is that? Um, and she, would, <laughs> she, would, she would give them, if they said that, you know, Cheryl, we're, we're done with this, with this drug, we want to get our lives together. She would give them a place to stay. She would feed them. She would let them live with us for months or years until they got their lives. I mean, it was, so there were always, and we lived in a small, eventually we moved out of Cashunk and we moved, we lived in a very small three bedroom uh, house, one bathroom. And there would, there would be at least 10, 12 of us in this house. And we had bunk beds in every room. We, I mean, it was, she's, she's extremely generous, extremely amazing. And there would be a ton of us in this house um, just, you know, just laughing and having a good time. And you look back on it like, my God, what was there to, to laugh? I mean, that was, those were some tough conditions, but um, we had a lot of love and a lot of fun and, and I wouldn't change anything. I'm with you on that. I had the same type of growing up and my mom was the same way. And I guess, you know, it could come from 
you know, having compassion being a nurse because being a nurse, you take care of people that are sick, you know, that need to be nursed back to whatever, you know, issue they had with their health and, and just being there for people. So I definitely can appreciate that. My mom was the same way. I can't wait to meet you because I think we have a lot in common, you know, and growing up parallel, you know, with parallel lives. Um, yep. I think it's interesting, you know, and my sister actually followed my mom's footsteps and she became a um, registered nurse. So and that was a I. big deal back then. That was a big deal to become a nurse, you know, going to school. And a lot of men became nurses also at that time and still yep. do, I think. Yep. Yep. So, it's, it's so wow. funny because um, so my, my sister, um, it's funny that you say that about your sister. Like literally we, we're living the same life here. But uh, my sister who um, went to college and became a police officer, she, she got a degree in criminal justice. Many, many years later, she said, you know, I always wanted to be a nurse like mom. She ended up going back to nursing school and then became an RN. So she actually now works as both a as a cop, as a detective, and an RN. So she does oh, a little bit of fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, that's um, different. Yeah, that's different. But that's, that's different. She, yeah. But it still goes hand in hand with having compassion for people and wanting to help. And you know, it's nothing like being a servant. You know, uh, a person of servitude in your life, because when you do become that, you nothing but blessings come back to you. Agreed. So Agreed. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yep. So tell me, I mean, tell me a little bit more about growing up in Philly because I know after you moved and you went on from there. Yep. So um, so as you know, uh, having a nurse mom, they work a lot of hours. I mean, it was not uncommon. Mom worked 7P to 7A or 7A to 7P. <laughs> so we, we spent a lot of time um, with my grandmother or like, you know, y'all don't come outside if I'm not home. So I spent a lot of time as a kid, and it's funny because I don't watch a lot of television today, but as a kid, I watched hours and hours and hours of TV. Um, and we always mm-hmm. kind of paint that as a negative, but, I, you know, back in the 80s, um, for a little kid growing up in a rough area of South Philly, it actually exposed me, I think, to a completely different world. Um, and my mom was really, was really cool about wanting more for us. So what she used to do, I don't know if you remember the main line or, or some of the um, – Oh, of course. Villanova, Gladwell, <laughs> yeah. So my mom would, when she had off on the weekends, we would spend time driving out to the main line, which is like one of the wealthiest suburbs in the country, which is interesting because there's extreme poverty in Philly. So you could That's literally right. drive from extreme poverty 20 minutes out to the main line and see mansions that would rival uh, Beverly Hills. So exactly. we would spend some weekends. My mom would just, you know, we'd get, we'd get in the car and drive around, and my mom used to show us, like, this is where, this is where y'all are going to live one day. This is, like, this is the money that I want y'all to have, which, is, which for me was, like, eye-opening. And a lot of my friends in South Philly just didn't get that kind of exposure. So I'd sit down and watch TV, like, okay, what are the people who live out there? What do they do? And I would watch movies like, like Wall Street and, and you know, mm. all these, like, movies where people had a completely different life and I realized I realized how possible these things were um, because they weren't even too far from where I lived and that was that planted a seed for me really really early on and I think some things were just kind of innate in me um, I've always been a saver I've always been like a like a, a bit of a hoarder you know ne- I was that kid that no one talked about money in the in the family in fact I don't even really know very many people in my family that were that were good with managing money, and you didn't. We we just didn't talk about it. But I could I could save some money. I tell a story a lot about how when I was a kid, my mom sent me to Christian a Christian camp. It was a week long, five day 
uh, can't. She sent me with 200 bucks, and that was to pay for my breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, I mean, I just watched all the decisions that the other little kids made with their money. And, I mean, one kid I remember specifically, we were about a half a day in, and this kid spent all of his money. And I'll never forget it because one of the camp counselors was like, all right, all right, everybody get in a circle. We've, we've got a little bit of an incident. And they, they gave one of those what would Jesus do speeches about basically we all needed to help this kid. And I remember thinking, first of all, I don't know what Jesus would have done, but I know Jesus would not have spent all his money uh, with four and a half days left to camp. Um, <laughs> right. this, this sounds to me like old boy made a ton of really bad decisions, um, but, you know, but I digress. So, and, and I just watched how people moved with their money. And, and me being as cheap as I was after five days of having to pay for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, mom sent me with 200 bucks. I came home with $175, took my oh money, my put, God. It box, <laughs> put it under my bed. So, and, so that, that, that is the story. That is the epitome of me as a kid. So it, my, my progression from kid Aisha, who was, uh, who was just a saver that you didn't even have to tell that it made sense to save money, to my gradual progression of, okay, saving is not enough to make you a multi-multi-millionaire to have one of those houses on the main line. You've got to figure out how to make your money work for you. That's how I've been basically spending a bulk of, a bulk of my adult life uh, after I graduated from college to figure out how to become a disciplined investor. Because it's Fantastic. not just enough to save. Um, it takes it takes a whole lot more than that. You've got to have your money working for you for you, um, as you know, to, to get there. You know, that's a great story and a great segue to my next question in reference to you going to college. So is that what made you pursue an economics and marketing degree? Because, you know, I don't meet many African-Americans, and I know around the age you are at that time that went into that field at all. You know, so here's a funny story. Um, in, college, in high school, I was trying to figure out what, what do I want to do, what do I want to be. One of my favorite movies in high school was Boomerang. And I remember right? thinking, like, <laughs> here's, here's black excellence. And, exactly. and they, they, exactly. they all had money. At its best. At its best. They had, like, rooftop decks. And I'm like, that's what I want. Like, I want to be, like, black excellence. So literally my major, it, my marketing major, because if you remember, they worked at, the, at an advertising agency. I that's right. Marketing. I picked up marketing specifically because of Boomerang. Um, and then I remember I was progressing too quickly through college. I mean, I was, I was taking 18, 21 uh, credit hour semesters. They were working full time. Uh, and I was just going through too quickly through school, and, and I was going to graduate in three years, which would have put me graduating right at about 20. And I was like, I don't need to graduate that early. Let me just pace myself. I'll pick up another major and a minor just so I can get my full four-year experience. So I, I thought long and hard, finance was an option, econ was an option. I ended up picking up uh, economics because I really liked some of my econ classes that I had to take just as a as a business major prerequisite. So ended up picking econ, and then ended up picking up a minor in journalism, public relations, and advertising just because it was in an, an entirely different school. It was in the School of Communications, which I just thought that that might be important to have under my belt. And of course, and graduated in four years. And oddly enough, um, and this is just kind of how I, I truly believe everything is already written, a friend of mine who was in, a friend of mine from high school was in one of my classes in the School of Communications, and I asked her what she was going to be doing out of, out of after graduating. And she said, well, I'm going to go work for American Express as a financial advisor. And I remember thinking, 
American Express, obviously great company. And two, I'm like, you're a communications major. This is my minor. If you're going to be doing something in the stock world, that's probably something I'd be suited for. So I asked her for the contact information of the hiring manager, called him, and, and the rest is history. Got hired by American Express to be a financial advisor, and then Amex eventually spun off their financial advisors division. We became our own independent company. But that was kind of my tra trajectory into uh, financial planning, stocks, and, and all that stuff. Okay. Were there any other aspirations growing up in Philadelphia? Did you ever think about, you know, anything else, or that was a straight beeline for you? Jane, all I wanted to be was rich, you know? It, right, so, it, <laughs> so finance, business, all of it just worked. So, so I, remember, I remember being, I don't remember how old I was. One of my mom's friends asked me what I wanted to do. I knew attorneys were rich. So I said, oh, I want to be an attorney. And she said to me, well, what kind of attorney? There's a lot of attorneys. And I specifically remember asking her, well, which ones make the most money? And she said, probably a corporate attorney. And I said, well, all right, great, then I'm going to be a corporate lawyer. So for me, it was, it was which of these paths here is going to make me the wealthy? I mean, literally, as a kid, all I thought about was I have to be rich. Like, enough, enough I have to make some money. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a got, lot of I money. Got, <laughs> I to, yeah, I got to stack it. I, like, I knew that as a kid. I've got to stack. I don't know what y'all are doing, but... Um, you know, I'm, that's I'm an amazing out. thought process because I, I, I've done quite a few interviews and I've never heard anyone really come out and just say it. You know, listen, I wanted to be rich. I hear people say, I want to be rich. I've got to figure out how to get rich. How do I navigate through that? But you knew early on, I mean, and I understand, I watched the Boomerang movie and I was like, well, shit, where are these people? I want to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. So the same mm -hmm. thing. And I watched a lot of television and I watch television now today only because I went into the entertainment industry at one point in my life and absolutely loved it. So I sit there in the movies or TV and watch the credits roll by until the end. But, I mean, you are saying to me, I knew at a young age I wanted to be rich and I was going to try and figure it out right away. And you did. Yep. And you blew through yep. college, which you could have blew through college in three years. You decided, I'm going to stop, take my time, and figure this out. I mean, how many young people – especially African-Americans, and I'm sure there's quite a few out there now, you know, because of, you know, the difference in the world with, you know, social media and everything. But do they really know how to navigate through that? But I'm just, right. I'm amazed and, and, oh, my God, I'm, like, really proud of you because, and I don't even know you, and I'm like, this young lady really knew what she wanted. And it takes time to know what you want. It does. But you well, went for it. There, there are, I believe, you're, you're totally right, but I, I believe in their there are pros and cons of being a money-hungry little kid growing up in deep poverty uh, in, in South Philly because I almost made probably one of the – I, I almost made a decision uh, that could have completely ruined my life with my just eyes being on, I just have to be, I just have to be wealthy. I remember because I, I worked quite a bit. I worked a lot. Um, in fact, I worked an illegal amount of hours. In, like looking back on it at 16, I was probably working – 30 to 40 hours while in high school um, at, at a local McDonald's near, near my house. It was a franchise store. The guy just didn't care anything at all about rules and laws and all that stuff. So um, I, I met a friend there, and she came to me with a, with a business proposition. She's like, look, Aisha, I know you've been saving all, the, all of your paychecks. How about you, like, buy some marijuana, and I'll sell it at my school. I'll distribute it. And I remember, like, we started running through the numbers, like, what kind of money can I make and, and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, like, that's a that's a great flip opportunity. Like, I don't even right. have to I don't even have to sell it. Like, I just got to come up with the money, like, buy it, 
and then we basically get like all this profit off of this kind of investment and like who doesn't want weed at her school um yeah, right. And, and I'm, <laughs> right i'll never I'll, I'll never forget i'm i'm sitting in my room um probably doing homework or watching tv or something and my mom comes in my room and there's no way on earth she could have known this um she comes into my room and she says you know whatever you're thinking about doing don't do it wow. and sorry i'm getting a little emotional but yeah yeah, so, she knew because so she knew yeah. her kid. Yep. Yeah, so that could have completely changed my life. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, sorry, I don't even cry. Um, no, it's okay. It's so okay, baby. I understand because, you know, that's an emotion that you could have went left and still be there. And today yeah, they have, have cut their, yeah. you know, Today they have cut their hair and started carrying briefcases but still selling marijuana because now it's pretty much legal. <laughs> so it's a little yeah. bit different. And yeah. I understand yeah. because you could have gone to jail for a very long time and okay. we, somebody would be trying to get you out now because now it's legal. Absolutely. So. I mean, I, I, could, I could have been one of those statistics that got, like, some ridiculous right. sentence for selling, like you said, what, what you know, Americans that look very different today are, are profiting off of. So exactly. thankfully, um, you know, I had that mom who was just like, yeah, no, whatever you're thinking about, like, just nix it. And, and I'm did. a highly I educated did. child. That yeah. would have been such a de- devastation because you're highly educated, apparently, and something like that. Oh, thank God. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And you think about how many of these entrepreneurs are sitting in jail um, and have been sitting in jail for just – not having the the mom I did or, you know, or just be, you know, maybe they did have the mom I did, but we're just blinded by profit. So um, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate and grateful and blessed um, that I had that, I had that sort of guidance and was, and was willing to listen. You know, I was, I was, because a lot of people would have gotten that. I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about and did what they were going to do anyway, but I trusted and respected my mom enough to know that she, she's usually right about most things, and if she's going to just kind of say, say no to this, then I should just listen. Um, and we, and I, yeah. I, I don't know. Huh? No, I would say, what? yes, I was agreeing with you. Yeah, I, and I don't know if, um, I probably should tell her this. I don't know if I've ever even told her, like, you know, she she might be putting money on my on my commissary book still if, if we hadn't had that conversation. But yeah, so it was that's also um, something you know that we dealt with growing up in 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 poverty. So, but yeah, here we are. Definitely during those times, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, when you look back on things, and I always say, you know, parents they laid a foundation down. And we have to remember what that foundation is when we go out there because there's so many choices, you know. We know right from wrong. And it's just yep. a matter of that, that one time. It only takes that one time. Yep. And we'll think it's okay and we'll go in that direction and, Jesus, who knows? Who knows? Yep. But, you know, yep. like you said, your mom, mom knows best and she's not going to tell you anything that's going to hurt you, especially with the relationship you have with your mother. And not a lot of people have that relationship with their parents, you know, which sometimes I go, wow, I, I don't understand that, especially when she's always there. Like my mom, I can't even imagine her saying, I need. If she talks about it, she has it. 
because that's right. just who I am with her because she gave me everything. I wouldn't be here nor would I be the person I am today if it wasn't for my parents. So I totally right. respect them and love them, and, you know, I can't do enough for her. You know, I lost my dad years ago, but um, Sorry. Yep. I get that. I definitely get that. So yep. are your, is your mother an investor? Does she invest with you? She's, um, she's not. Um, she's, um, she does have her retirement plan through work, through Temple, um, but she's not. My mom's never been really, really good at, at money and budgeting. She's, she's a bit of a spender, um, but, you know, I mean, she's, she's, got her, she's got her retirement plan, but I'll make sure she's, she's okay. I'll make sure she's set. Um, I tell you, she, I think you were my sister from another mother. <laughs> yeah. Everything you say, I'm like, my God, okay. My mom's a bit of a spender, too. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, pull back, Mom. Yeah. Pull back a little yeah. bit, honey. <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she's a spender, but she, she's, also, um, she's also always responsible for taking care of, like, so many. You know, she's, my grandmother lived with her. My grandmother recently passed in 2019, May, May 9th. Um, and she lived with my mom for 25-ish years. Um, so she, she, my, my, my cousin still lives with her, her kids. So my mom's always just kind of taking care of so many people, um, often, I think, to the detriment of her own finances. So, right. there, I mean, there's no, there's no way I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to take care of her. But my mom is also, because keep, keep in mind, she had us so young. She's also still young. I mean, she's 61 yeah, she'll okay. be, yeah, she's 61. I'll be 42 before she's um, 62. So she's, she's still young. She's still, she's still working um, and probably will work for maybe another three or four years before we'll sit down and just kind of come up with her retirement plan. Fantastic. And she has you to do that. So yeah. your passion is discipline. Your passion is disciplined investing. Share a yep. little bit about that for us. So one of the things I had to learn really early on, so I, I, I'm in college, I bought my first mutual fund, I think at like 19 or 20. And this was back in the tech bubble. I don't know if you remember like late 90s, all the dot com. Oh, companies. totally. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, that was my first foray into investing. And I, I remember the, the, the mutual fund I bought, I bought specifically because it was like a tech fund and the returns over the last several years were crazy. So I bought into the craze thinking, oh, this thing's going to make a ton of money. That was my first mutual fund. I ended up losing like 70 some, 70 some percent of my, of my money. So that no. for me was the first lesson of why you don't chase returns, why when Warren Buffett says things like um, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful, it took me a long True. time to, <laughs> to learn not to chase returns or when everyone's running in the building, you should be running out and vice versa. Um, okay. So, so when I say being a disciplined investor, I mean, if you, if you recall a couple of years ago, Bitcoin was at like 19000 and everyone and their mother was telling me to buy it. Oh, it's done so well. It's gone from nothing to 19000 And by, right. then, by, by then, I was already a bit of a disciplined investor, smart enough to know you, you don't chase returns. And sure enough, the thing dropped from like nineteen or 20000 down to, I think, like three or 4000 within six months. So, of course, I had wow. bought it. I then looked at buying it when no one was talking about it anymore, when it hit the three or 4,000 levels, but I was tying up my cash in, in real estate and other things. So um, it's, it's, 
that's what being a disciplined disciplined investor is to me. It's it's not chasing the returns. It's it's taking your emotions out of it. In fact, if, if you think about the psychology of, of buying any investment, you make money um, when you buy low and sell high. I mean, excluding things like dividends and income that you can get from from real estate or um, or other stocks, for example. But if you think about just the just the buying a stock. Most people would argue, sure, I make money, I buy the thing when it's low, I sell it when it's high. But if you think about the actual emotions that happen when a stock has gone up 100%, that's when people want to buy it. People think, you know, oh, look at this stock, it's gone up 100%, let me get some of that. On the flip side, when a stock drops 70%, people don't want anything to do with it. They're like, no, stay away, sell it, I don't want to buy it. So you almost have to remind people, we just discussed or we discussed a year ago when we were buying an investment that you make money when when you buy low and sell it when it's high, but when it comes down to our money being applied to that, when the stock market drops, people want to sell, but when the stock market's doing really well, people want to buy. So our emotions get us to, to, to literally respond the exact opposite way of how you actually make money, which is buying low and selling high. So the discipline of investing for me is really about just applying the non-emotion-based principles of, of, of purchasing and when to sell. Which makes complete sense. And that's even, that goes along with a few things across the board, you know. Yep. And you're right, the Bitcoin, they're still trying to sell it to you. Yeah, yeah. And not, I only know a, of a couple Bitcoin um, transactions as far as real estate is concerned. And I remember having a $10 million listing and the seller, the buyer came to us wanting us to take, I think, half of it in Bitcoin. And we were like, well, we need this to be tangible. We need cash. So we didn't take that. And then I read about another transaction that did take place in Miami. But Miami is a whole other ballgame. You know, I live in Naples. Naples is very conservative, and people are yep. extremely conservative with their money here, even though we have the titans of America living here. So it's a little bit different. Um, I, I think you're the epitome of growing up in the hood but not dreaming in the hood and not, you know, deciding that's where life stays. Because a I lot of that. people, you know, they grow up in the hood, but they continue to live in the hood and dream in the hood. And that's where some of them make their biggest mistake. Because it's all yep. right to go back and pass the baton, but you need to keep moving. And it's yep. all right to go back and have a life of servitude for the hood, but you still need to keep moving because that's the only way we can do that. Yep. But a lot of people forget. So, you know, I, totally I take my forget. hat off to you for going, yeah, totally forget. And, I, and sometimes I just don't understand it. I have friends that go, you know, I'm going to live here. And I go, you don't have to live here. You definitely can invest here, but you don't have to live here. You know, yep. it's a different yep. life and a different lifestyle. And even though we know it and we know it well and we can navigate through it, it can become, yep. you know, a bit dangerous for some. Absolutely. And there's statistics out there, so I won't even go into that. But yep. um, my next question is, what was it like being the first African-American field vice president in such a huge company for you? Um, and a female. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, the... So the financial services industry is still very white and very old, you know, old man. I know. Um, so for, for, for me, it was, um, it was, so I was on a trajectory to, to basically grow and build my practice. I was a brand new financial advisor, came in right around 21, 22, started building a practice. And one of my leaders tapped me on the shoulder and said, 
you're doing a great job, such a great job at being an advisor. We would love to have you teach and train other advisors on how to do exactly what you're doing. And I, I, I was faced with a decision, do I just either keep building my own practice or do I, or do I kind of give up my client what I've worked so hard for and get into this, into this management role? Um, I'm, I'm glad I did, uh, ultimately, because it taught me things that I would need to grow as a business owner, just being in that mid-level management role. Um, okay. It, it, taught me, it taught me how to delegate. It taught me how to lead people, especially as a new advisor. I remember they would give me, they would assign me an assistant or a staff person to help me with my practice, and I was such a perfectionist that I was not willing to let my assistant that they gave me do anything. Don't touch it. You're going to mess it up. Don't, don't talk right. to my clients. You're going to say something stupid. Don't, you know, so, so as you know, the, the ability to scale comes largely from your effectiveness of having uh, your, your ability to delegate things to others that you shouldn't be spending your time doing. That's really the only way. I mean, I was, I was producing maybe 150000 or 200000 as a new advisor. Today I do over a million in production. I never would have gotten there today if I didn't learn some of the things that being a manager taught me. So I gave up my clients when I was 24, 25, something like that, decided to take the manager role, and then they promoted me to be a field VP. Uh, I moved from Philly to Virginia Beach. I ran that office for a couple of years. Uh, then I came back to the Philly area in, in Bucks County, ran that office uh, for about two years, and then decided I think I've gotten everything that I can out of the mid-level management role. I think it was also important for me to be there to realize how much I don't want to do corporate America because they can, in an instant, change all the rules on you. So suddenly you get paid this way, and then all of a sudden you get paid this way, and then we've decided we're going to change the metrics, and you're going to get paid this way. And I remember thinking, yeah, this just doesn't work for me. So I decided to get out of management altogether, go back to being a practitioner, which was an interesting decision because I was making good money in mid-level management and literally would go back to, I think, a $24,000 draw and had to start rebuilding my practice from scratch. And I did that at the end of 2008, right as the stock market was collapsing. So, um, but yeah, it was, I, I, I just dug my heels in and said, I did this once, I can do it again, and rebuilt the practice of clients. And the rest is history. Here we are 12 years uh, out of um, me restarting to build my practice. And I, and I can't say that I, I regret um, the decision to go into mid-level management because it was, it was a huge learning opportunity. I had a ton of mentors and, and development classes that I had to both sit through and then teach. So it taught me a lot. Um, but it was, you know, it was tough. You go, I'd go to the conferences and I'd be the one black face in a room of 250 leaders. I mean, it was, it was, it was interesting to say the least. Um, but I've got a good company. They're all, they're all for the most part, great guys, uh, very supportive. I got a lot of help and support in my company. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's different. I'm sure, I'm sure over your career, you've been that, you know, that brown face, um, or that. Oh, I am that brown face now. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You know how it is, James. I live in Naples. I am the brown face. (laughs) I am the brown face. I'm the only brown face, matter of fact. I know one of one other brown face, and I taught her. So, oh, wow. um, and I get a lot of calls for people wanting to come here and work with me, and I, I share with them, do you understand the market? Do you know where we are? This is one of the wealthiest counties, you know, in the country. And like I said, we have homes. I always tell people we have homes on the market for $88 million at any given time, and I, that's a lot of money. 
you know, yeah. and um, they not only do we have them on the market, they sell. You know, it's different from Miami. We're on the West Coast, and Miami is the East Coast. I'm on the yep. Gulf of Mexico. And it's just gotcha. a little bit different here. But it's very beautiful, and um, I feel very safe here. You know, I never worry about anybody knocking me over my head after 12 o'clock at night if I'm walking down the street or I'm just kind of hanging out with a couple girlfriends. But yep. um, it is interesting. It is interesting to walk in a room. I mean, I remember when I was working with Sotheby's, and I went to the first meeting when I uh, started um, working with them, and I went to the first meeting, and I walked in, and I looked around, and there had to be about 350 agents there, and I said, and I was, this is me joining Sotheby's, and I looked around, and I thought, wow, there's not one of me here, yeah. and I thought, oh, this is really interesting, and I'm from, you know, I'm from Philly, and I lived in New York for 15 years, and I thought, wow, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> is it really like this? <laughs> And yeah. then, yeah, and then after a couple of years, you know, it got to me being here just thinking, well, there's nobody here that looks like me. I mean, yes, it's, well, I'm here, I do work, I, I do well, um, I'm a chameleon, I can go anywhere. But yep. it is interesting, you know, when, when it's like that for you because you do long for being around people that look like you, brown people, because yeah. it's just a different swagger, you know, it's, yep. it's a different conversation, and yep. it's, it's a different language. Yep. So, yep. you know, I do. Sometimes I think about it, do get lonely, and then I started going to Miami. But then that was different, too. <laughs> so, yep. yep. That's a whole other country over there. So. <laughs> it, it, it is, Miami, I, I say that all the time, Miami is, is kind of like get your passport because it is like yeah. a, whole different, a whole different country. Um, it's but a I love different Miami. country. I love, all the, I love the culture. And, and, but it's yes, so funny that absolutely. you because we're so much alike, Jane, because I, I, I feel the exact same way. I'm a, I'm a chameleon. So I can, I can go in with the boys and, 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 Absolutely. and just, you know, all right, well, I'm just one of the boys at this point. I mean, I can, I can right. adapt very quickly. And I think that that probably speaks to uh, a lot of the success that we've both had, both had. Very few people yes. can, um, can do that. So, yeah. And it's, and it's about showing up too. You got to show yep. up. You yep. can't show up half-assed. You got to show up the right way. You have to know who you're yep. dealing with, you know, yep. assess the whole situation and go in right. So, yep. you know, I, I totally get that. Yep. I think that's fantastic. I am really looking forward to meeting you. You know that, right? <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Like, like we're already so connected. It's it's so funny how parallel our stories are. So funny. And I know we know a lot of the same people. I definitely I'm sure. know that. I'm sure. <laughs> So let me ask you this, Aisha. Were there ever any breakdowns before the breakthrough to success for you? Um, you know, I had a, I had a lot of, um, I had a lot of moments where, even going back to that story where I was considering getting out of management and going back to practice, where literally I had no clients. Uh, I was already at that point thirty, so I spent the last eight, nine years or so building a practice and giving that practice up and getting into that mid-level management role, I had a bit of a, like, I had a bit of a meltdown making that decision to transition from mid-level management, giving up a very nice salary, very, very nice bonuses, and saying, all right, I'm going to go back to, and I got bills, I've got mortgages, I'm going to go back to basically a $24,000 draw, so that's not even a salary, and no clients. And I remember having the conversation with 
my mom, like, you know, this is, this is a, this is a tough call to, to make. And she, she always in my corner, like you did it once, you can do it again. Um, and, you know, there were so many different things going on, especially the market crashing at that time. Most people wouldn't have, um, most people wouldn't have made the decision that I made. So that was, um, that was tough. Most of my mentors even told me, don't do it. Uh, stay with the safe salary. Stay with the safe bonus. The stock market's doing terribly right now, and you want to now only help clients with their stock. So um, I, ha- I, had a, I had a bit of a moment there to try to, to actually make that decision. But then once I just I made the leap, and I was like, all right, it's, it's sink or swim at this point. So um, I don't think that um, – you know, I don't, I don't really get down on myself about things. For me, it's either um, – I always ask myself when I'm doing anything, what's the worst thing that, that will happen? So if I, I, I'll fail, and that's not the worst thing on earth. As long as everyone lives, um, it was just a lesson. And what lessons did I learn from it? So um, one thing I do know about myself is I will outwork anyone around me. One of my, one of my favorite Will Smith quotes um, Will talked about, he said, you know, you may – you may have it in have it on me in every different different category. You may be smarter than me. You might be cuter than me. You might be funnier than me. But he said something like, "I know that if you and I get on this treadmill together, either one one of two things is going to happen: either you're getting off first, or I'm going to die. And it's just that simple. And that's me. <laughs> that's that that is that is one hundred percent me. Either the person next to me is getting off first, or I am going to die. Just 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 period." So um, just knowing that about myself, that I'm willing to outwork everyone around me and just do what it takes, um, I, don't really, I don't really fear that much um, because I, I know that I'll, I'll just keep working until I get the job done. That's fantastic. I, I agree. Yeah. You said either I'm going to get it done or I'm going to die getting it done. Yep. Yeah. It's kind of like 50 cents. <laughs> Yep, I'm gonna get rich. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's wonderful! That's wonderful. So, um, I have another question to ask you. Of course, were you ever passionate about anything else, another career path, or are you at this point in your life? Um. I wouldn't say another career choice. I, I do want to, just, just kind of a, a passion of mine, and this is why I've run my social media platform the way I have for as, as long as I have, which is literally just I've been just giving out free content. So I think that financial literacy is something that our, our, our culture lacks. Um, you know, it just, just from everything growing, even growing up as a kid, the, the people that were the flashiest or, or wore the most expensive things or drove the nicest cars, we saw that as wealth. And today I think that um, – I don't think that very much has, has changed in that regard. Um, I would love to teach our communities more about financial literacy and what does true wealth look like. So um, I, I see myself spending my retirement uh, because I just can't see myself sitting at home or, or – or even just traveling for, I, I have to do some work. I believe that my work will be in the communities, teaching people financial literacy, teaching people why ownership is so important. Uh, even if you don't want to own a home, you have to own something, a business, a stock, uh, you know, some, a franchise, own something. So that's, that's, that's kind of always been a passion of mine um, and something that I see myself doing for the rest of my life. 
Okay. That makes sense. That's your way of giving back also, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. Yes. Definitely. So how yeah. do you view the millennials in this space today? Man, we're in trouble. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. You know, it's, there, it's it's interesting because um, I've been bopping back and forth between Instagram, which is, I believe, a, a, a slightly older crowd, um, and then Twitter, which is the more the millennial crowd. So I, I was on Instagram primarily, and then I, then I started tweeting more on Twitter just to, to reach some of the younger audience. Um, and, and the millennials are kind of split between there's real estate Twitter and money Twitter, which are a lot of millennials who really, really get it. But you get a lot of pushback from a lot of these millennials on work ethic, working hard, uh, spending your money on things that will actually make you money. I mean, you the the comments that you get from these these millennials, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's really it's really really scary. And you know, at one point, I'm going back and forth with, and I'm like, I'm not going to argue with someone who's 30 and your their mother still pays their cell phone bill. Like, why am I even still arguing with you? So it's it's. It's a, it's a different mindset. Um, I think that they're very smart and calculated in a lot of ways, and then they, they, they get on these bandwagons of anti-capitalism and anti-gentrification, which I, I, get the, I get the idea of anti-gentrification in a sense that you don't want people to be displaced, people who've lived in communities for, forever. These are people I grew right. up with, people that I love. I, I Absolutely. get that part of it. But the reality but how is how do you turn it over? Yeah, gentrification is not going to stop because you've got a, a picket sign and clipboard. Like, that, that's not how this works. What we and it's not do, always however, a bad thing. It's, 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 it's not, and it's, it's a freight train. It's coming regardless. So exactly. instead of, instead of um, I'm anti-gentrification and I'm going to be a keyboard warrior and talk about how much I hate it, how about we teach people financial literacy and how to own something? If the rent is too damn high, Let's talk about how we get people to own things. So, you know, so I, I think that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of millennials out there who get that and who, who are preaching to their peers uh, those things, but then there's a lot of them that are just, they're just different. It's a different mindset and a different group. So Interesting. We, we need some help. Yeah. I, oh, I totally agree, especially in my field. I, every time I get a call um, and I feel for them, the first thing they say to me is, you know, I want to break into the luxury market. Do you even know any luxury players? <laughs> you know, yeah. do you know anything about the luxury market? It took me years to get here. And I, I did what Martin said. I crawled, walked, ran, and flew. <laughs> I did all of them. And, and, you know, it's not easy. And I have to share with them sometimes yeah, we all want to get into that luxury market, but you need to grow into it, just like you need to grow in everything else. Yep. So it's, it's very interesting how things um, take place. And, yep. and the young people, they just don't get it. And they want it. They want it. They say they want it, but they're not willing to do the work. They're yep. not willing at all to do the work. Some do. I'm not going to say all, but they just don't Agreed. know. I agree. I agree. You know, and they don't know the first steps to get there or navigate through it. And the conversation is different with people of wealth. And we work in a cash business. I mean, you can close a, a deal for $30 million cash in 10 days here. Good. We, how yep. would you even know what to do with that? <laughs> At 22. Yeah. yeah. When someone I asks mean, you, where do you summer? At your mom's house? <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. It's just, it's, it drives me nuts. But, you know, I, I feel for the young people. I try to help them any way I can, and I love them. And I understand it because, you know, I was there. I was there. I started out selling $100,000 condos. And a yeah. and $100,000 condo is a lot of money to a lot of people. It is. So I don't get that twisted either. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's very interesting. So, of course, my next question to you is, have you ever encountered any racism in the field or on the job? Um, sure, yeah. I that know you I've know of. Yeah, I've, I've gone, I mean, it, it, it's never, um, it's not as blatant as it, as it used to be. Um, I've okay. gone into meetings with prospective clients uh, where literally as soon as I walk in the door, their, their, their face kind of like a shadow goes over their face. And I've sat, in, I've sat down with them and delivered a, a ton of value. It would not have mattered what I said. Regardless of how that meeting went, they were not hiring me. I, I know for a fact that if I'd walked in as a white male uh, or even maybe even a white woman, I would have gotten a client. I, I, there, and it, it doesn't happen very often, um, I, but it, it has happened a handful of times in my career. I've even, um, because at, at one point when I was working down in, um, and, and where I'd see it mostly was in south, uh, southeast Virginia. So Virginia Beach is still very much Oh, uh, yeah, south. totally. <laughs> yeah. So um, I would um, I would cover uh, a meeting of one of the newer advisors, and you know the, the young white guy booked the appointment. And I'd come in as the manager, and the advisor, um, you know, we'd walk out or something, get some water, and the advisor would be like, "Oh my gosh, this is the be- one of the best meetings I've ever seen." I mean, I can I can do an a, an extremely effective client meeting. It's 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 a pretty pretty cool thing to see, and the advisor who just doesn't really know like what's happening most of them were like young and 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 inexperienced they'd be like shocked like what i can't i can't believe that they didn't become clients of ours and i knew exactly what it was what it was about i knew exactly why we didn't of course because of course and i mean i have i have today a ton of clients that that are in southeast virginia and they love me to death and and they're uh, all different nationalities, but I have I've been in meetings where we did not get the client, and I know exactly why. Wow, yeah, I've I've ran across that, and sometimes I think, oh well, no, and then I think, no, definitely, yes, yeah. okay. <laughs> yep, don't, yeah, <laughs> don't, you don't, yourself. you know, put it past yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, you do question yourself because you've done so well, and when it, I guess when it creeps upon you. You're a little shocked, and sometimes I get a little emotional about it, and I go home and I say to, you know, to my husband, I go, you know, yeah, that, that didn't sit too well with me. And he goes, don't worry about it. You'll get the next one. And it's not, not, I say to him, it's not about the next one. It's about that one and yep. why. Yep. Yeah. But you, it's still you, there. You know, the old adages are still there, and, you know, we, we deal with it as we come across it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I – um... I've got that kind of obsessive personality where I'll think about that client for a long time. You know, I'll think about. Me too. Yeah. I, like the one why? that got away. I, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why? And why? You know. Yep. And even yep. today, I mean, we're in the 20s, not the roaring 20s. <laughs> you know, we're in the 20th century and moving quickly. And you just yeah. think, Okay. And I used to, well, I won't even go there, but anyway. Yep. <laughs> but I used to but think I mean, you know, something different. 
you know what, Jane, if you ever, like sometimes I'll find myself um, on either some political page or some, some page, and I'm, I'm sort of like barreling through all of the comments, just kind of reading. I mean, you find yourself in the underbelly of America when you're in some of those comment sections, and you, you start to see there are some people who actually feel like this. I mean, they may have yeah. a, a, a page that doesn't have their name or if it's a blocked-out profile picture, nothing identifying them, but someone sitting at home in the middle of America or, or maybe even in Philadelphia, who knows, just tweeting the hate that they really feel. So Spewing it, yes. Yeah, that's, that's a constant reminder to me that here we are in the year of our Lord 2020, and there's still a lot of trash out there. Yeah, and it's so, sad, you know, it's and sad. it's generational trash. Yep, yep. And that's the unfortunate part about it. And, yep. you know, irrespective, I always say you must watch yourself, you know, and I don't understand because I always say, you know, even in business, you know, I know Jewish people stick with Jewish people, you know, Italians stick with Italians. And I just say to myself, my God, we need to really just band ourselves together a little tighter. Not that we have to be different. We just have to, you know, respect one another and know that yep. we can do business with one another and we would go far with one another. Yep. Absolutely. But, you know, Absolutely. it doesn't happen. So we, so we, again, we have to deal with that. But, you know, being a chameleon like yourself and navigating through this thing and, and having the education, because education trumps it all most of the time. Yep. Because that's yep. where the triple threat comes in, especially when you're good yeah. looking. Yeah. And you're a beautiful yeah. black woman, uber smart, you know, and figured it out early on. And that could be a threat to some people. Sure it is. I'm sure, you know? I'm sure we threaten a lot of people, Jane. I'm sure, oh. we, I'm sure we threaten a lot of people. And I don't mean to. I try to disarm people as soon as I come. I mean, I'm, I'm six feet tall. <laughs> you know, I'm six feet tall with big hair. <laughs> gotcha. yeah. I get it. Yeah. And I, I truly try to disarm people when I meet them. And I can always tell as soon as I walk in the room. Yeah. You know, whether it's good or bad. Yeah, no, people are intimidated, I'm sure. Yeah, at least I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm low to the ground. I'm only 5'2", but just, a, you know, a little bit. <laughs> I'm low to the ground. <laughs> That's all right. But I'm telling you, from what I understand, when you stand on your wallet, you're about taller than me. <laughs> I'm, 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 a, I'm a good at least six feet. You're right about that. <laughs> all right, girl. That's what I want to hear. That's right. Oh, man, that's so good. So tell us a little bit about a day in the life of a successful Aisha Selden. So what I enjoy most is that no two days are alike. Um, I mean, I, that's, that's what I love about my life. I don't, I can't be, um, I, I can't be bored. I can't like sitting at a desk every single day. I would, I would pull my hair out. So, um, as you know, not only do I have my stock business, my financial planning business, but I also, uh, invest in real estate heavily. I'm a licensed GC. So, I mean, I may be literally going from a client meeting, running across the street to my apartment, throwing on some boots and then go into a, a, a house that there's no back wall or roof um, and talking to a contractor about demo work that we need to get done. So there's, there's, there's literally no, um, no set schedule for me. I try to keep, I have an assistant at my office who keeps my calendar there pretty tight. I have an intern who I'm working with on my real estate stuff to keep that uh, somewhat tight. I've just recently launched a new business as if I don't have enough on my plate. I just yeah. recently launched 
uh, launched Selden Consulting Services, um, which will basically uh, – so, sorry, Selden Ownership Series. Uh, it's that new. I don't even know the name of it. Um, it will uh, <laughs> it will be more of my uh, more of my content stuff. So I just um, I just started providing consultations to people so people can book me for a thirty or sixty minute call on uh, on my setting schedule. Uh, I'm gonna I'm releasing an ebook probably within the next thirty days or so. It should be launched. I'm doing a class in Philly at the end of March. So I'm doing more of the content stuff, and people have people have been telling me for years you need to put some of this stuff in writing, you need to offer some consultations, classes, that kind of stuff. And I've always been just skeptical because um, I think that there are so many fake gurus online. Um, oh, that, and I've been God, just, tell me about it. Yeah, I mean it's 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 it kind of um, it's kind of sickening a bit. Uh, and I've been just giving the content away for so long just because I want people to have the education. Uh, but at the same time, um, I realized that my time is valuable, and my, my DMs, I, I literally was scrolling through my unread messages on Twitter. I mean, and it was, there were, I don't even know how many, hundreds or thousands, there was just so many of them. I could not get to them all. So that's when I, I realized I need, to, I need to do more. People want more, um, and I, I just can't do it for free. So, um, I, don't, I mean, I'm, we're not right. charging a, a, I mean, I hear some of these Stan Merrill courses are like $50,000 or something crazy, so... Um, while I wouldn't go that direction, um, I, um, I at least want to be able to offer uh, content and be compensated for, uh, for my time. So now I've got that going on as well. Uh, and I do my own property management. It's, it's just it's a lot going on. So we'll see how this sort of evolves. Um, I've got a few more projects left in my inventory, my real estate inventory to rehab and, and then rent. I've said once I'm, I'm done those last, I think I've got like 11 units, maybe 12 units, depending on how many I can get approved through zoning. Um, once that's done, I've committed to uh, having my project, uh, my property management outsourced uh, to someone else so that I can, I can work on maybe new projects or other stuff that I want to do. So right. it's, it's a work in progress. Oh, it sounds like it. Well, I know yeah. in 2008 during the real estate, the great real estate crash of our time, um, yep. I wanted to ask you, how did you navigate through that market crisis and achieve 40 doorsteps? So what I did, so at the, in 2008, I owned only three or four properties. I was mostly investing <laughs> in stocks. Um, I, bought, I bought a foreclosure in, in 2002, then I bought another property in 2004. Those are both rentals. I bought a primary for myself in 07, which was a bad decision actually because of how I bought it. Um, and, and at the time, um, I just kind of watched the market drop. So the, the market started dropping around, around 08, kept going down the stock market bottomed in 2009, but I was just still watching at least the Philly market. The Philly market didn't bottom until around 2010, 2011-ish. And then when that happened, I said, all right, now I strike. So keep in mind, the, the old adage that I said, the Warren Buffett adage that I said earlier, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful, there were not a lot of buyers in 2010, 2011, because people were just scared because they just watched the real estate market plummet. And I think That's now is the time, yeah, now's the time for me to strike. And then I just started loading up. I spent from 2011 till 2018, basically. I spent that seven-year period loading up on as many units as I possibly could. I sold a handful just to get, just to, um, get a little bit more capital, 
but I was primarily holding and I was just buying. I mean, it was, it was so, it was so cheap. I mean, I was spending at, at, at one point at sheriff's sale auctions, I was in, I was in Philly buying houses for five, $6,000. Um, at the beginning, I believe of 2018, I spent $20,000 for an almost 4,000 square foot single family uh, home in West Germantown. Uh, tons of land, huge lot, huge house. Uh, and I, I mean, I don't even understand how it went that cheap. The land alone was worth more than $20,000. So wow. I, was, I was literally buying whatever I could get my hands on. Um, and even if I didn't have the money to rehab it, I would just make it safe, board it up, put a new roof on it, uh, prevent any future um, damage to the property, and I'll just get to it when I get to it. So I spent most of 2019 when the market, the, the prices just seemed a little too high. I didn't acquire anything uh, in, as a rental property, an investment property. I bought my property in L.A. I, I don't know if I, if I told you that, but I bought a place in L.A. that um, is a full rehab I'm going to use for, for my personal use. Uh, that was the only thing I bought in 2019 because I basically spent most of 2019 rehabbing the inventory that I literally was grabbing up from 2011 to 2018. Wow. Well, that was fantastic. And that was the time to buy. Like you said, yeah. the old adage, buy low, buy low, stack, and hold. Yep. And now, yep. now you're turning them over. Fantastic. Yeah. You know, a lot of people made mistakes in 2008. Actually, I didn't start my real estate career until 2010, but I did buy a couple of homes in Philadelphia and flip them. And the reason I did that is because I knew Philadelphia, you know, and I was a little yep. nervous. But now I'm being an adult, understanding and investing, understanding real estate. I go outside of my market. I don't even think about it twice. I'm even thinking about Houston next. I mean, I'm investing in Chicago, but I feel once I think – the market is saturated where I am in uh, Chicago, I'm going to make my next move to Houston. You know, I was sitting in a class one day, and I, I don't even think it was a class. I think it was a seminar. And I remember a real estate agent standing up saying, you know, I have over a thousand doorsteps. And I was like, what? And he said, and they're all over the country. And I couldn't, you know, grasp the concept. And I was like, how is he doing that? Who's managing them? What's going on? And he had one central management company. And I thought, wow, I really need to talk to this guy. And he just said to me, he said, you don't have to invest where you live. He said, you have to just understand the way the market works. And there are people, professionals out there that can help you. And I was right, like, okay. Right. And he said, if you have a hundred grand sitting in your account, then you should be buying property and not having it sitting in your account. I went, I okay. Agree. I said, okay, I got it, I got it. And, you know, you, you, sometimes it takes a while for the light bulb to come on. But once it comes on, yep. it stays on with me. It's and I just on. keep coming, yeah. like a bull. Yeah. I just keep mm -hmm. coming. I miss yep. it, I'm coming back to the next one. So, yep. yeah, that, that's really, really good. And, uh, and I always talk to real estate agents, you know, like even today I go, are you investing the money that you're making? Because, you know, we love to sit and look at the money and see it in our account. But if it's not yep. bringing income, it means nothing. It's not going to be worth what it's worth today in five years. And then giving you a hundred or two hundred or a thousand dollars a year is nothing on your money. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, so, you're, so, you're so right. I mean, and, and it's, it's, it's upon us to make sure that we're being good stewards of our money. And right. like you said, sitting in a bank, it's not doing anything. It's barely outpacing inflation. If, if it's even keeping up with inflation, and like I, I, 
I, I see my money as soldiers. When I send you out on a recon mission, your job is just to bring back <laughs> as many other soldiers as possible. That's it. Yeah, we are at war. And, and don't war. leave anybody in the field. <laughs> bring them don't home. Leave nothing, don't leave not a man down. You better forest go right. with a bubble on your back and run him home. <laughs> Because I need all my coins. I need them all. I need them all. <laughs> that is um, funny. This is true. Yeah, this is so yeah. true. So, so yep. I have one last question because I know I've kept you for quite some time. And my last question to you is, if there was one question you would have people ask themselves on a daily basis who are trying to achieve success, what would that question be? Or breakthrough to success? So I, think the, I think the biggest thing that people need to ask themselves is how do they see money? You know, what is, is, is money something that is designed to keep them looking nice, keep, a, a, you know, keep them in a nice bag, a nice car? Is that what money is for? Or is money more about creating financial freedom for you? So I, I think that mindset shift, um, when, when people actually get what money is for, that money should be for your freedom, I think that how we handle our money starts to look very different. Most people, I believe, see money as just a tool to get them what they want. They Like, I want this bag. I want this house. I want this car. I want this. I want all this stuff. But if you see money as a tool to make you free, it's a different ballgame. Absolutely. So basically, you're saying in a nutshell, what is your relationship to money? That should be the question asked. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And a lot of people can't answer that question. They don't know what that means. No. They and don't. that's unfortunate. They yeah. They, they, they have no idea. So I, I use money to pay my bills, right? Yeah, like I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm using Well, those are the obvious questions. Paycheck. <laughs> Those are the yeah. obvious answers. I mean, you know, yeah, we all need money to pay our bills, but what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Aisha, it has been an amazing conversation with you. I love that I had this conversation with you. I don't interview many women. I don't know why. Um, and the ones that I do interview are just, you know, trailblazers at what they do. And, and I, I love talking to you, and I have to find more women like yourself to have a conversation with because you give back so much in this interview, you know, to my audience that they need it. They need to hear these things. And my audience yeah. is, you know, across several demographics. And a, a lot of women don't come on, you know, when they – if I do find someone that I find that's interesting, it's hard to get in touch with her. I can't touch her, you know. Gotcha. and. I just hope I can find other women like yourself and the women that I had in the past to come on my show because you give so much information, and, and it's necessary. And I think other, especially African-American women, we need to hear this, and we need to hear from successful black women yeah. to let them know yeah, I mean, that they can do this. Jane, representation matters, and the more of us that people hear doing what they are kind of scared to do or who else is doing such a thing, like the more we're heard, the more women will step up and say, if Aisha can do it, and she is no rocket scientist, trust me, um, I can do it too. And not, not only that, where we came from. Yeah. yeah. That's huge. You yep. know, we had the opportunity to go to school, but today there's no excuse. There's no excuse. No. They have yep. so much access 
way more than we did. Yep. Right with that little yeah. phone they carry. You yeah. Know. Yeah. The, the ability so, to Google anything. I mean, we, you can get a Google. Yeah, Google is your friend. Yeah, we 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 had uh we had encyclopedias. You know, you you want exactly. to go look in that encyclopedia. Ain't nobody going in that encyclopedia, mom. <laughs> Oh, yeah. as big as and thick as that book is. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, I oh guess I have to tell them, go and watch some movies, but they don't even make them like that anymore, so they won't yeah. be able to do that either. But yeah. it has been wonderful talking to you. I can't wait till I come to Philly. I will hit you up as soon as I get there and see if we can, you know, break some bread together or just yes, chill and absolutely. have a cocktail. Absolutely. So, I cannot wait. Yes, I will definitely be talking to you. I want to thank you so much, Aisha. Aisha Selden, guys, I hope you listen to this conversation because it was one of the best ones for the new year. This is my first one back to the new year, guys. This is 2020 with Aisha Selden and Jane Bond from Execution to Excellence. And again, Aisha, thank you, and I cannot wait to sit down with you. Thank you, Jane. Likewise. All right. You have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Oh, one second. Aisha, tell my audience where they can find you. That is what I'm missing. Social media. Social media, yes. So I'm on Instagram and Twitter under the same handle, uh, at Aisha Selden all together. And Selden is spelled with an E-N at the end, not O-N. But, yeah, I'm I'm on the gram and, and on Twitter. Wow, guys, what an amazing interview with Aisha Selden. She is definitely what we call from execution to excellence. She saw and understood what she wanted at a very young age and went after it with nothing but pure passion to get to her goal. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview because this was one interview to listen to to understand that you do not have to Dream in the hood even though you grow up in the hood. Aisha, I take my hat off to you. You can find Aisha at Aisha Selden on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook. Again, thank you, Aisha, and we look forward to seeing you and hearing from you again. Once again, guys, from execution to excellence, And my name is Jane Bond. Please do not forget to follow me on Instagram at janebond underscore underscore underscore. And do go and write us a review at iTunes. Thank you.